You are listening to the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. Welcome to the sixth episode of the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. I'm Asa. And I'm Allison. And today we're playing you one of the most amazing pieces by this amazing composer, Antonin Dvorak. This is his String Quartet Number 12, also known as the American String Quartet, and we'll be going over the fourth movement today. Yes, so Dvorak, as we know, was very inspired by his time in America, but there we'll go into more detail on that a little bit later in the program. First, let's talk about his background as a Czech composer. He was born in 1841 in the town of Nelahozeves near Prague. So this is a little small town. They've preserved his birthplace, actually. Um, and he's started violin at age six and was very good. And he was actually good enough that his father decided he ought to go improve himself and make himself more worldly. So he was sent to live with relatives and learn German, and also organ and piano. So his first organ and piano and also violin teacher was Anton Lehmann. And much like we were talking about last week with Beethoven's teachers being strict, Lehmann also had quite a temper with Mr. Young Dvorak. <laughs> he later switched to Franz Hanke uh, as a teacher, who was nicer, um, but still encouraged his musical career. Now, Dvorak's father was an innkeeper and a butcher and a zither player. He wasn't really a uh, professional musician as such. However, he still encouraged him to become a musician, although he did stipulate that it had to be as a church organist. Um, and as such... Dvorak, young Dvorak, went to and graduated from the Prague Organ School, second in his class, but didn't actually make his first audition job. So, in order to make ends meet and keep playing music, he started playing violin in orchestras, one of which actually performed a tribute to Wagner and was conducted by Smetna. And Dvorak really admired Wagner. He thought that his orchestration was ideal, and he was wanting to be like Wagner in some ways. And he also really looked up to Smetna, Smetna being the first Czech composer to really reach international fame for his work in Czech folk music orchestration. So until all that time when Dvorak became a well-known composer, he seems to have lived like a typical music student and an up-and-coming musician that you might think about today. He uh, went on auditions. He took gigs when he could get them uh, and networked with the big shots every chance he got. And much like musicians, he seemed to have very little money, so he would go to shows only when he played in them. And he actually lived with five other musician roommates. <laughs> Which, from experience, I know could be kind of a hassle. <laughs> it's, uh, it's an experience, for sure. Yeah, uh, but in his early adult life, when he began composing, 
he very quickly received acclaim and recognition in Prague. I was submitting works to several competitions, and in 1874, he won his first Austrian state prize for composition. He, I say his first because he won again in 1876 and again in 1877. And it was these prizes from the Austrian state competition that really started putting him on the forefront of the international music scene instead of just within his national area around Prague. Right, because each year, actually, Johannes Brahms was the main judge for each of these competitions. Dvorak didn't actually know this, but after the third win, after his third win in 1877, Brahms came up to Dvorak and finally told him that he was the judge, like what he was doing, and suggested Dvorak to his publisher, Simrock, who commissioned Slavonic Dances, which is one of Dvorak's most well-known Czech-inspired pieces, Sales were wildly popular, and it catapulted Dvorak to international fame. And it kind of helped that Brahms had recently written his Hungarian dances, published by Simrock, and so people were really on the bandwagon of Eastern European folk music-inspired pieces, and so Slavonic dances following in the footsteps of the major Brahms composition was just really lucky for Dvorak. And after this incredible international success, including in Britain, in Germany, and all over the place, mostly in Europe at this point, Dvorak was offered a position at the Prague Conservatory. This was in 1891. He initially said no, but he changed his mind and took the job uh, after a payment issue with his publisher because, you know, we all got to make ends meet somehow, right? (laughs) Yep. Uh, Later on after this, uh, in 1892, very quickly after his Prague Conservatory job, He was actually given a position at the American National Conservatory of Music in New York City, which he held from 1892 to 1895. And this is where we see a lot of Dvorak's most popular works. Uh, I'm sure Slavonic Dances was probably his first super popular work, but of course, the New World Symphony uh, was written during his time in America. And that's one of the most popular pieces of Dvorak today. And of all time, I think. Um, (laughs) When you think of classical music, I mean, the New World Symphony comes up all the time. But Dvorak, during this time from 1892 to 95, he had a goal. And his goal, quote-unquote, in America was to discover what American music was. And after a lot of time, he thought that he, he figured and advocated that the Native American, African American, and other folk, quote, music should be embraced in classical compositions, much as his own Czech folk tradition had influenced his previous works. And he said, we actually have a quote here. These beautiful and varied themes are the product of the soil. They are American. They are the folk songs of America, and your composers must turn to them. In the Negro melodies of America, I discover all that is needed for a great and noble school of music. So this is Dvorak talking about all of the folk melodies and all of the heritage melodies in America, including... The Negro melodies, as he put them, and also Native American melodies, as we shall talk about in a couple minutes, um, that he thought formed a distinctly American school of music. And he wrote his most popular symphony, number nine, The New World, with all of this in mind. It's actually very interesting, Allison. I think his use of American music is different from his use of Czech music in one very particular way. He doesn't ever, or at least very rarely, actually quotes 
American folk music melodies. He always writes his own. Right, whereas he does that all the time for Czech music. Mm-hmm. So I, I think this is very, very interesting. He's not taking past American melodies. He's creating the American sound. Whereas taking this inspiration from past melodies. Mm-hmm. And he was really trying to encourage the American composers of the time to do the same, or much like what he was doing with his Czech music, where he did take direct quotes. He was encouraging American composers to perhaps do that as well. Because previously, they all had been turning towards the European ideal and trying to make themselves sound European. And so here you have a European who's encouraging them to go out and find their own American voice. This was beginning sort of the end of the Romantic era and starting in the 20th century music. Um, and now you start hearing the greats such as Copeland and this very distinctly American sound that I believe would not have truly come about without Dvorak's influence. Uh, so after his stint at the New York uh, American Conservatory, it was actually an economic depression in America, cut his salary, convinced him to leave the American Conservatory and head back home, returning to the Prague Conservatory in 1901. He was very, very well loved in his homeland of Bohemia. The Emperor Franz Joseph actually appointed him to the Austro-Hungarian House of Lords, and his 60th birthday was celebrated as a national holiday. Now, it was kind of funny. On his actual birthday, people all throughout the country played his pieces and celebrated wildly, but he actually wasn't there. He was out <laughs> in some other part of Europe touring. And so when he came back, they had another birthday party for him Ooh. that they titled the Late Birthday Party. They loved him so much that the whole country celebrated for him twice. <laughs> That's amazing. So he was director of the conservatory after his 60th birthday uh, from 1901 until his ultimate death in 1904 from influenza. So now let's go back to his time in America, which is when we'll begin focusing on our specific string quartet number 12, which he wrote on a summer vacation there. Actually, his first summer in America in 1893. He wrote this piece actually between the time that he wrote the New World Symphony and the time that the New World Symphony actually premiered. And this quartet actually only took 12 days to write. Um, he says in the quotation, uh, I have been on vacation since 3rd of June here in the Czech village of Spillville, and I won't be returning to New York until the latter half of September. The children arrived safely from Europe and we're all happy together. We like it very much here, and thank God I am working hard and I'm healthy and I'm in good spirits. It's worth mentioning, actually, that Spillville had a very healthy Czech immigrant population, so it's perhaps um, where... Dvorak felt sort of at home while he was abroad. Mm -hmm. But he didn't really let that Czech influence kind of get in the way of his goal of finding American music. But I think we definitely still hear some of his signature style that isn't even necessarily Czech, it's just Dvorak. Right, it's a very, very polyglot style as, as Dvorak was. Um, and in fact, it seems he seems to have um, hearkened back to Papa Haydn, the father of the string quartet here, both in his orchestration, which is a very classical uh, string quartet, two violins, a viola, and a cello, um, and both in what he says he once says he wanted to write something 
at once very melodious and straightforward, and dear Papa Haydn kept appearing before my eyes, and that is why it all turned out so simply. And it's good that it did. <laughs> so he's really been struggling for a while at this point to find a balance that he considered between form and melodious orchestration. He was just really pleased with what he was coming up with during his trip to America because he was able to get the form he was looking for and the structure, but still have his expanded romantic melodies present. He was a great admirer of classical composers and romantic composers throughout his career, particularly some of the Germanic composers, Mozart and Beethoven. This, with his love of the folk melodies and the Germanic orchestration, gives him his signature style, which you can hear very clearly in this piece. Uh, the melodies in this piece are his own. Uh, however, an African-American singer and student of Dvorak's, Harry T. Burley, said, quote, I sang our Negro songs for him very often, and before he wrote his own themes, he filled himself with the spirit of the old spirituals. And this quartet, and of course the New World Symphony, uh, were really a turning point in American music. So let's talk about what Dvorak's American influence sounded like and what we can take away from what we hear in this quartet. So the very first thing that you hear when the when the fourth movement of the quartet starts up is a dotted eighth sixteenth rhythm that is followed by several straight eighth notes that are kind of broken up with some ties. And it's very rhythmic, syncopated rhythmic, and quite incessant. He writes the same rhythm on the same notes in the accompaniment for 20 bars of the beginning of the piece. Wow. So it kind of harkens back to the Native American drum circles that you might hear at Native American powwow or gathering. And in that instance, there are drums that have a steady beat that just goes on and on and on as the singers perform over top of that. We can also hear that singing sort of quality here in the fourth movement because the first violin then comes in with also a rhythmic melody, but it kind of jumps around much as the singing of the Native American music might have done. And now we'll play the beginning of the quartet. We can hear that incessant rhythmic melody with the singing first violin on top. So another thing that Dvorak was very much inspired by um, was American folk music. Um, and here we've got some fiddle music. So this is definitely from the American fiddle tradition, which is a type of playing of the fiddle that really sprouted out of what the immigrants of Europe brought to America. It's influenced by a lot of Celtic music, but also uh, Eastern European sort of fiddle music, which Dvorak would have also been familiar with. But the American fiddle tradition utilizes a lot of flashy and virtuosic technique, and it's also 
usually quite fast, and a lot of double stops are used throughout the playing Now, for those who are not string players, a double stop is when the player can play multiple notes at once by utilizing different strings on the instrument at one time with the bow. And you can hear a lot of this style nowadays in modern bluegrass music as well. This American folk fiddle tradition has survived for a very, very long time. And you can definitely hear Dvorak being influenced by this rhythm music. Next, of course, we were talking about Dvorak being influenced by his students who introduced him to the African-American spirituals. Now, a lot of these spirituals that originated around the Civil War era are what Dvorak would have been hearing at the time. And they're really quite melodious and really beautiful. Um, They have a pentatonic sound which kind of arose from their traditional African roots. So the African-American community, of course, um, at this time, had a lot to sing about. And you can kind of hear, you can hear all of these in the spiritual melodies, based, of course, on traditional African melodies, but evolving to fit the needs of the singers. So these spirituals can be of religious significance, um, but they can also be used to talk about messages and, and send certain messages to one another. Themes include kind of being brought down by some toil, and then being helped or helping yourself find a greater joy and the expressing of jubilation. And Dvorak expressed his own jubilation in this quartet by writing a chorale melody sort of right in the middle of it. It's in a minor key, but there are other parts that you hear in the movement as well that transition from minor to major, much as a lot of the spirituals did. Dvorak's influences, um, his Native American uh, influences, and the African American influences. No direct quotations. Again, uh, he doesn't. He doesn't take anything. He just. He rather creates um, brand new melodies of his own. Uh, if you have the sound of the New World Symphony, perhaps um, in your head, if you can picture that, you'll definitely be able to hear those similarities and how this is a very American sound. Now, of course. Dvorak did not lose his own style. There's extremely lush orchestration and sweeping melodies. This is one of the things, actually, um, that you can see if you listen to a quartet by Papa Haydn, the father of this genre, this chamber music quartet genre, um, and then again to this to Dvorak's own quartet. While he based the instrumentation off of Haydn's pioneering ensembles, the orchestration is quite different. Whereas, of course, Haydn wrote in the classical style, Dvorak was a solidly romantic composer, and you can hear all of these lush orchestrational choices and the amazing chord progressions as well that are a lot more complex than the classical style of Haydn. So going back to his New World Symphony being written in America, 
it has been described as nothing American about it except that it was written in America, which is not entirely true because he really was influenced by melodies. But as we mentioned before, he wrote all his own melodies. And really, what he does with those melodies is not American at all. It's really Dvorak himself. He wrote with extremely dense romantic harmonizations and he utilized the interesting non-typical chord progressions. There's this one chord progression that he really seemed to develop and like that you can see both in the New World Symphony and this final movement of his quartet number 12. And it's right at the end of both and it's a slowly changing chromatic harmony. How this progression works is there's a single chord that he starts with, and it's sort of repeated throughout the measure, except there's one instrument that changes notes chromatically at a time. And so it slowly, the chord slowly augments and goes into diminution and morphs into a new chord, and then the cycle repeats and repeats as he just goes down the chromatic scale. And it's very tricky, but he pulls it off really well. So this is what it sounds like in the New World Symphony. And you can hear how forceful the orchestra is with that chord progression. And then when you hear it again in this quartet, you can hear that it works just as well, and it does provide that Dvorakian sort of chord progression sound. And though the instrumentation is much smaller, just four players, because of Dvorak's amazing compositional style and, of course, the virtuosity of the performers themselves, it's still just as forceful and just as powerful until it, as it builds into that finale. So that will bring us to the end of episode 6 here of the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. Unfortunately, we don't have the time on this format to go back and listen to some of the other movements, but I would strongly suggest that you do so. The first movement especially is one of my favorite of all time. <laughs> the entirety of Dvorak's 12th string quartet is really excellent, and he adds all sorts of little fun curveballs in there. For example, in the third movement, he writes in a bird call of the scarlet tanager that was apparently bothering him incessantly outside his window <laughs> while he was writing. So it's a great quartet, and we hope that hearing these little snippets of the fourth movement have inspired you to go listen to more of it. We will leave you with the bulk of the ending of the fourth movement here as we die down and go away ourselves here at the end of the sixth episode. Uh, I'm Asa. And I'm Allison. Thank you all very much for listening. The String Quartet number 12 was performed by the Borromeo String Quartet. Slavonic Dance Number no. 6, Opus 46, was performed by the Orstella Sinfonica CMUS Santiago de Compostela. Symphony Number no. 9 was performed by the DuPage Symphony Orchestra, conducted by Barbara Schubert. You can find The Coffeehouse on iTunes or Google Play. Like us on Facebook and share episodes with your friends. You can email us at coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.